Okay, where are our only children? You're an only child in your family. Let me see your hands, make some noise. Only kids, all right. How many of you guys have siblings then? Yeah, okay, most of you guys do. Okay, that's a good thing. Um, Now, we need to be careful because some of you might have your siblings here with you this morning, so we want to, you know, step lightly. But let's be honest, siblings are either the best part of any family or they're the worst part of any family, right? I mean, they either make family gatherings great or you're like, oh gosh, my sister is going to be there, right? Now, I've noticed a a pattern that's pretty common in families with multiple children, and I wonder if you've seen this same pattern play out uh, in, in your life, all right? Often, there seems to be one sibling that is known as the golden child. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of you guys know immediately what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's the kid that, although parents are not allowed to have favorites, everybody knows that one is definitely the favorite. Yep, yep, yep. Um, They're the ones that uh, mom and dad always talk about. They're the ones who everything comes easy for them. You know, school was always easy. Athletics was always easy. Finding a husband was always easy. It just seems like everything always falls in their lap. Not only that, they're often the sibling that all the other brothers and sisters can't really stand because everything comes so easily to them. And I don't know if you've experienced this, but I certainly did. They're like the Teflon kids, you know? Nothing sticks to them. You guys get into trouble together and you should all be equally punished for whatever stupid thing it was you did. And it seems like the golden child always gets off a little bit easier, doesn't it? They always get off of their restrictions quicker. You get arrested. They didn't for some crazy reason. I mean, it's just, it is tough when you have a golden child in your family and you are not that golden child. Now, if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, you know, in my family, we didn't really have a golden child. Congratulations, you were the golden child. You learned something at church already. Your siblings know that you are the golden child. Now, listen, the reason that I I mention, you know, siblings and golden children and all those different things is that this morning we're going to be looking at a story that Jesus told during his lifetime. And this story is about two brothers, two siblings. And one of the brothers is a wild and out party boy. I mean, he just goes hard after life, does whatever he wants to. The other brother is a button-down golden child. He's always following the rules. He's always obeying the parents. He's always trying to be right and proper. Now, here's what's interesting about this story that Jesus tells. Jesus makes this story up. He tells this story so that he can communicate to us that there are basically two approaches that you and I can take towards God in our lives, that our lives and our relationship with our heavenly father is going to be reflected in one of these two brothers and their relationship with their dad. Does that make sense? And here's the kicker. By the time we get to the end of this story that Jesus tells, we're going to discover that according to Jesus, both approaches to the Father are wrong. Both approaches, the wild and out party boy and the buttoned down golden child, both misunderstand what a relationship with the Father actually looks like. So we're in this third week now of this series that we're calling We Can't Stay Here. If this is your first time or, you know, you're jumping in in the middle of the series, that's okay. Don't worry about that. You're going to be able to join with us and not miss anything too important. What we're doing is 
And we're looking at these parables that Jesus told. And a parable is simply a small fictional story that's designed to communicate something about you and God. Okay? I've told you that in basically every parable that Jesus tells, one of the characters is designed to represent the heavenly father, God, and the other one or multiple ones are designed to represent you. And so as you read through these parables, you're asking the question, who is God in this story? Who am I? What am I supposed to be learning from this? Now, as we've looked at a few different parables over the last couple of weeks, we have observed a pattern. That is true of God. It's true of God in these stories. It's true of God throughout the scripture. We've said, and if you've been here for the past few weeks, you'll recognize this, that God searches for lost things, and in particular, lost people. That he's not content that there would be people who are alienated or isolated from him. And so he will search them out. He will proactively seek every single person on the planet. And we've also seen from these parables that Jesus told that God succeeds at what he goes after. He will hound you until you give in or you die. He is not going to let you off the hook because of how much he loves you. And because God searches and God succeeds in finding the one that's lost, God celebrates. We talked last week about the fact that God loves to throw parties. He is really into partying. And we see that imagery over and again in scripture. We're going to see this exact same pattern play out again today in Luke chapter number 15. As we read it, I'm going to go ahead and give you our outline ahead of time. Because while God has this pattern of searching, succeeding, and celebrating, each one of us has a pattern that we're living out as well. And in this pattern, we rebel, we regret, and then we try to repay. Every single one of us is doing what we're going to see the younger brother is doing. Let's see if you can pick out this pattern as we read through Luke chapter number 15. So we'll start here in verse number one, just to give ourselves a little bit of context on this. I can get this Bible open. The Bible says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. And we've pointed out how interesting it is that people who were nothing like Jesus really liked Jesus. They, they lived crazy lives that were very contrary to the religious system of their day, and yet they enjoyed coming to hear Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, um, and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. And so in response to this criticism that Jesus was hanging out with people who don't fit the religious mold, Jesus tells a story. We'll look in verse number 11, and he says this, a man had two sons. Here are the two siblings we're going to be talking about. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die, please. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. I told you he was a party boy. About the time his money ran out, though, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed his pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one, the scripture says, gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. Here I am dying of hunger. So I will go home to my father, and I will say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. And so the young man returned home to his father. 
I told you there's this pattern we see in this young man's life, and it really is a pattern that you and I follow um, often to varying degrees where we rebel, we regret, and then we attempt to repay. So let's start with this idea that, honestly, we're not very different from this young man. We all rebel a little bit. I mean, this guy, l- l- let me ask you this question. When does somebody normally get their inheritance? When the parent dies. So when he rebels, when he asks dad for his inheritance, what he's essentially saying is, dad, I wish you would drop dead so I could get the money you owe me. I know what I want to accomplish in life and you are standing in the way. That is an incredibly selfish thing to say, isn't it? I mean, it's shocking. He is actually um, attacking the authority and the dignity of his father. It's tough to imagine anybody even saying anything like this. Now, you have to understand, because they didn't live in a cash society like we do today, when he asked for his share of the inheritance, what he was asking for was his portion of the land that the family owned and whatever animals might have been you know, grazing on the land. And so his dad divides up all the property he owns. He gives it to his son. His son liquidates these family lands that have probably been with the family for generations, and now that he's flush with cash, the Bible says he, he doesn't go invest it. He doesn't buy better property that he can pass on to his family. No, the Bible tells us that he squanders all the money that he gets from his father on wild living. We actually find out from something the older brother says later on in this story that he wastes all the money on prostitutes and parties, like hookers and blow, you guys. He went all in. I think that's what the Greek originally said. I'm not positive, but um, he wasted it. I mean, he really wasted it all and did it in a way that ruined his family's reputation. It ruined any potential for a relationship with his father. Because when he took everything the family had and went and squandered it, he wasn't just rejecting his family, his father and his brothers. He was actually rejecting their entire village, their whole way of life. He was saying, no, I don't want that. I want to go chase the things that will make me happy, and I don't care what it costs me. This would have been a huge scandal in their village to know that one of their sons had grown up, rejected all the traditional family values, and run away to squander everything that his dad had given him. The only way that his dad could have maintained his reputation within the village would be to cut his son off completely, to say, you are dead to me. Don't ever come back. You have turned your back on our family, so go and stay gone. Now, this seemed to be okay to the young man. Because when you get right down to it, this younger brother wanted the father's things without the father. That was his big mistake. That was the problem. And let's be frank, you and I are not so different, are we? We want the father's things, but we often don't want the father. We want happiness, we want new opportunities, we want lots of cool experiences, and we are often willing to undermine our most important relationships, even our relationship with our Heavenly Father, so that we can get what we want in life. 
There's a, a way of thinking in our world that basically says, you know, you need to get out and experience everything life has to offer. You need to decide for yourselves what will make you happy and fulfilled, and then go pursue it at almost any cost, right? It, it, the motto of this way of living is like, you only get one life, you better make the most of it, right? And so we pursue happiness and pleasure and wealth and experiences and all of these different things. And I'll tell you, that's not bad. It's not bad that we pursue happiness. What's unfortunate is we pursue happiness at the expense of our relationship with the Father. We chase after the Father's things, but we don't actually want the Father himself. And so I know in my own life, I'm not picking on you, I'm picking on me. I'm preaching to me this morning. I have a tendency to say, God, I want you to give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. But I don't need you in my life, just the things that you can offer me. So this young man rebelled. He rebelled against his relationship with his father. And he goes out and he lives a wild life. He has a great time. But eventually he comes to a moment of regret a moment where he's like, oh, maybe I've gone too far. Maybe I haven't been able to keep track of, you know, the things that I should have. I thought things were going to turn out differently. Because when he had money, he had everything he needed. He had all the friends in the world. But as soon as the money ran out, it's like everybody disappeared. And he was alone and isolated. He was beginning to get increasingly hopeless because of the choices that he's made. And again, I'll just say, I'm not much different and neither are you. We regret. We choose to rebel against God. We choose to rebel against our families and our relationships. And then we regret the choices that we've made. This young man tried to earn an honest living. He's like, okay, well, uh, the party's over, but at least I can still do things on my own. And so he tries to get a job, the Bible tells us. The uh, only job he's able to find, though, is feeding pigs. And you have to recognize he was a Jewish young man. And so pigs were unclean animals. As far as his family and his society were concerned, feeding pigs was the worst job he could possibly have. Like, worst, worse than working at Walmart. It was bad news if he got forced to go work with pigs. He gets so desperate, the scripture tells us that he actually envies the slop that the pigs are eating. Because now nobody is around to help him. Nobody is around to give him anything, not even his boss. Isn't it interesting that he goes to work for his boss, and yet his boss will not actually pay him? It's this huge turn of events where the kid who was living the playboy lifestyle is now in the gutter, and the kid who had taken advantage of his relationship with his father was now being taken advantage of by his boss. It was a very, very difficult situation for him to be in. And there's an interesting little thing that happens here in this scripture that will help you to understand just how badly this kid had it. If you look back in verse number 13, you might remember the scripture says that he wasted his money on wild living. Can we put that up there on the screen, Sherry? Thanks. Um, he wasted his money on wild living. And the way that that is written in the original language, the, the words actually mean he was incurably ill. His way of life was sick down to the core. Like he was actually self-destructing in his behavior. He was wild living, self-destructive. 
And anybody who was around him would have looked at him and said, dude, don't you know what you're doing? Don't you see how badly this is going to turn out? There's no way that you can reject your father. There's no way you can reject your family. There's no way you can spend everything you have, live in a party lifestyle, and for it to end well. It never does. Anybody from the outside looking in would have seen where this story was headed, but not the young man, because... What the things that we often find ourselves in, we become blind to, right? We become oblivious to things that should be obvious. We know where our rebellion, where our choices, where our, you know, actions, we know where things are leading, but we choose to ignore it or we choose to remain blind to it. And so what happens is people often have to come to the very rock bottom before they come to their senses, before they change their ways, before they try to, to, to change the, tra- excuse me, the track that they're on. So real briefly, let me just speak to some of you. This is not going to apply to all of you, but there are probably some of you who even today are caught in this cycle of self-destructive behavior. There are things that you're doing things you did this last week, things you're already making plans to do this week, and you know how destructive they are. You know it's wild living that is actually consuming you from the inside out. Can I just challenge you to recognize that you don't have to wait until you hit rock bottom before you make a change? You don't have to wait until your husband discovers your spending habits or your wife discovers your browsing habits, or your boss discovers your drinking habits. I mean, you don't have to wait until you hit rock bottom before you change. In fact, the Bible says that if we're willing, we can repent. That means to have a change of heart or mind. And if we do that, then we can begin to change course. Again, that's not all of you guys. Some of you are not the wild and out brother. You're the button down golden child, and we're going to talk to you next week. But for those of you guys who are on a path that is leading you to destruction, I pray that you'll see the story of this younger brother, and it might snap you out of it and say, I need something different than what I'm experiencing right now. So we regret or rather, we rebel, we regret, and then we attempt to repay. We see this in the young man where he says, look, I need to go home, but I know that dad is angry. I know my brother is never going to let me live this down. And so if I go back, I cannot go back as a son. The only way I can be welcomed back is if I go as a servant. So I'm going to go to my dad and I'm going to say, dad, I don't want to be your son anymore. I'm not worthy of that. I I can't do that. But instead, I just want you to hire me as one of your laborers. A hired laborer doesn't live in the house. He lives somewhere else. He shows up for work. Then he goes home. Dad, if you'll let me work for you, then I will pay my debt to you. I will show you that I'm worthy of being accepted again. I will prove to you that I can make this right. That all sounds logical. I mean, it sounds like a pretty good plan until you realize that the damage this young man did was not financial. It was relational. The thing that this young man did, the the thing that caused so much grief and heartache and difficulty, it wasn't that he broke his dad's rules. It was that he broke his dad's heart. It was that he said no to a relationship with the one who should have mattered most so that he could have the things that he wanted. When you break a relationship, how do you pay that back? 
Like if you've ever had somebody that's broken your heart, if you've had somebody in your family that has snapped a relationship in some way, you know how difficult it is to restore things back the way they were. How hard it is to know when you've paid enough or when things are ever going to be okay again. You see, the problem with our rebellion, the problem with this kid's actions, the problem with my heart is not that I'm breaking rules, it's that I'm breaking relationships. Sin is not breaking a list of rules. Do you understand that? God doesn't, it's not about the rules with him. Instead, it's about relationship. And every time we sin, what we're saying is, God, I want your things, but I don't want you. And that fractures our relationship with the Father. It isolates us. It sends us down this cycle where we rebel, we regret, then we show up and attempt to repay, right? This is the cycle, uh, rebel, regret, and repay. Here's the cool thing. While we are living out our cycle, God is also living out his own cycle, Because the father in this story reflects what the heavenly father does for me and for you every single time we are going through this cycle in our life. Let's read what the father said, how he responded here. So the scripture says that he returned home to his father. He's got his speech rehearsed. He's going to try to become a servant, repay. And the scripture says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with anger resentment over his stupid kid and the choices he made. The dad got the belt ready and he was going to tan his hide as soon as he got... No. The scripture says, filled with love and compassion, father ran to his son. He embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, now father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He gets into this little speech he's rehearsed and the, the dad is like, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. His father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Do you know who's the finest robe in the house is? It's the father's. He said, go dress him in my robes. He says, after you've done that, I want you to go get a ring for his fingers and sandals for his feet. We're going to kill the calf that we've been uh, fattening. We must celebrate with a feast because... This son of mine was dead, and now he has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so, the Bible says, the party begins. Hey, listen, you guys, you're living out a pattern, okay? And your pattern is either that of the younger brother or that of the older brother. Again, we'll get to his pattern in a moment. But you're living this pattern where you are rebelling, you're regretting, and then you're returning, hoping that you can repay and restore. You can make up for the damage. You can right all the wrongs that you've done in your relationship with God. And in that moment, you know what religion does? Religion, whether it's Christian religion or it's some other religion altogether, it steps in and it says, you're on the right track. And if you're really sorry about the things that you've done, if you really work hard to repay the debt that you have created in this relationship, then just maybe you could be restored. But we're not going to rush into this. You need to take your time. You need to prove that you're serious this time. You're not going to make the same mistakes. That's what religion says. But here at Connect, we don't talk about religion. We talk about gospel, 
good news. We talk about relationship because while you are living out your pattern, God is living out the same pattern that we have seen over and again in scripture. So we rebel, we regret, and then before we have the chance to repay, God steps in. And it turns out the whole time he's been seeking after you. And guess what? Today he's found you and he's celebrating because he has been restored to his child. Do you understand how God interrupts your pattern? And instead of saying, you owe me, he says, I accept you. Instead of saying, you have a debt, he says, I have taken care of your debt. It's canceled. It's wiped away. You don't have to worry about restoring yourself to me. I'm restoring myself to you. Do you recognize that sin, it keeps us from God, but our sin does not keep God from us? If you say, in fact, I had a conversation with a guy just a few days ago, and uh, it turned spiritual, and he was saying to me, you know, I don't believe in God, I've never felt God in my life, and I'm like, the reason you've never felt God is because anytime you got close, you ran away. It's not like God looks at you, and he says, you dirty sinner, I want nothing to do with you. The father doesn't turn his back on the son, it's the sons and daughters who turn their back on the father. It's not his fault, it's mine. And so the good news of this religion The teaching of the Bible, the thing that Jesus came to communicate to me and to you is that God's love is based on his character and not your behavior. Listen, I challenge you because I know some of you are skeptical. I get it. I wasn't raised in church. I remember the first time I showed up and I was like, what a load. Let me challenge you. Check out other religions. Research them. Study them you will find that every single one of them, even the ones that claim to be non-religions, they will tell you that it is your job to repay the wrongs that you've done. Christianity, faith in Jesus, a relationship with God through his son, it is unique, completely unique, because it says up front there is nothing that you're gonna do to right the wrongs that have happened in the world. Instead, God wants to right the wrongs. The only question is whether or not you're going to allow yourself to be embraced by the Father. That is the only thing that matters in this moment. There are a hundred ways to be lost, and yet there's only one way to be found. It is by the grace of the Father at work in your life. When you showed up this morning, you didn't know it, but the Father saw you coming. And he ran out to greet you. And he wasn't there with judgment and anger and frustration and resentment. Instead, he put his robe around you. He kissed you on the cheek. And he said, daughter, I'm glad you're here today. He said, son, it's about time you came home. And I want you to know there's not a waiting period. There's not a probationary time. You don't have to prove that you are sincere. God knows your heart. And if you have been wandering far and away from the heavenly father, he invites you to walk back in the front door and to be restored to your place in his family. That's what we celebrate here at Connect. That's why people wake up early on Sunday mornings, not because they show up and I give them a bunch of rules to follow. Nobody wants that. I don't even want that. We're celebrating the fact that the Father has been seeking after us. He succeeded in finding me when I got as far away as I possibly could. And when I returned to him, he threw a party because he was that happy to have his lost child back. Now listen, there's still a little bit left in the parable. We're not going to read it this morning. 
next week, our entire message is going to be about the older brother, okay? And so while the younger brother is living out his um, rebellion, regret, and trying to repay, the older brother is living out his same pattern, and we'll see it next week, where he retreats, he resents, and then he finally refuses, And some of you guys are not wilding out in rebellion and running away. Some of you guys, you're here every week, but you've retreated, you're resenting, and you're refusing the call of the Father. I don't know which of these brothers you are this morning, but I do know this. God has an open invitation for you to be restored back into the family. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes, and I want to give you the opportunity to accept the Father's invitation. If you've never made this decision, it's as simple as saying, God... I'm finally starting to understand that you're a father. You're not my judge, or you are my judge, but you're not here to judge me and condemn me. You're here to love me and to save me. It's an acknowledgement that you've been running far and wide, but today you're coming home. It starts with a simple conversation, just like any process of restoration does. And so if you're ready to make this decision to be welcomed back into the father's family, I'm not asking you to find a religion. I'm not asking you to join our church. I'm asking you if you'll take your place at the father's table, then I'll invite you to simply repeat these words after me. You can say out loud or in your heart, dear Jesus, I need forgiveness and a fresh start. Thank you for giving me both. Thank you for welcoming me into your family. 